Welcome to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. I am your host, Nia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, one meal at a time. The Plan Simple Meals podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier, happier home. Listen in for informative conversations and valuable strategies to make meals healthy, meaningful, and fun. Let's do this. Hey, you guys, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. This is part of the Work-Life Balance series where I'm interviewing some amazing entrepreneurs who also happen to be moms about how they're doing it all. And I have just loved these interviews. I've loved doing them myself. I've learned so much about how many different ways there are to do this. So I'm hoping it's inspired you, given you a lot of strategies, and that you are just sort of like hitting the fall running based on all the inspiration you are getting here. I know I am. So I swear, this is like the most fun part of my job ever. And on today's episode, I actually have a really good old friend, which is so fun when I get to interview somebody I actually know and have a relationship with. Our kids have been friends. Our kids have, you know, not been friends and we've dealt with that. I feel like we've gone through a lot together. We've shared meals together. She no longer lives in our town, but we, you know, we were together. We knew each other when our kids were really young. I knew her when she was pregnant with her youngest. So it's such a pleasure to have an old friend on the show. So I'm going to get in, introduce Natalie in one second. But before we do that, I just want to, I have two announcements. I feel like it's the same two announcements, but I don't want anyone to miss out. So again, I have that huge giveaway over a thousand dollars in amazing tools, gifts, actual things, an outfit from anthropology, a meal plan, food delivered to your doorstep, some awesome e-classes, all geared toward entrepreneurial moms who are just looking to dive deep into their personal growth and self-care this fall as their kids are going back into school. They get to do something similar, even for everything from getting your back to school outfit to learning some new content. So if you want to enter, if you haven't entered, we're coming up on the ending. It's been live for three weeks, but we're going to announce a winter winner on Tuesday. So go to plansimplemeals.com slash join and make sure that you get in on it, that you enter, and make sure that you respond to the email you got in your inbox. Look for it because I can only pick a winner who's verified. So make sure you're verified. And then share this with your friends because the more friends you share it with and they enter and they get verified, the more entries that you get um, and the more chance you have of winning. So again, it's plansimplemeals.com slash join. And then, of course, the other announcement, which I can't not give, is that on Wednesday night at 8 p.m., we go live with the Flow Planner, which you can check out at theflowplanner.com. If you're already on our list, just go there, look at it, see what it's about. You're going to get the announcement. If you're not on our list, if you don't get emails from us, go there and sign up so that you can know in that first hour because we have some amazing deals that are going to happen if you get in right when we start. All right, that's what I've got. So Natalie Monchenko, I'm going to say her name. She's like my good old friend. I'm going to say her name wrong. (laughs) Natalie Monchenko is an amazing life coach, and she helps soulful, ambitious, and multi-passionate women 
and a few good men uncover their purpose and start passion-driven businesses. And she is also the mama to three girls currently living in Colombia. And we get deep into really creating your dream life. So I hope you love this episode and yes, so much juicy stuff. So with no further ado, let's get Natalie on the show. Welcome to the show, Natalie. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Mia. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yay! So it's so fun because um, so often, well, you know, I feel like this podcast is a mix between people I meet out in the world, world, people I've never met before, and then every once in a while I get to speak with people who I'm actually good friends with and see on a personal, you know, level from time to time. And we just had dinner last week. So this is really exciting for me for people to hear what you have to say. I know for me too. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. This is so fun. All right. So tell everybody a little bit um, who you're the, who you have at home. So what's, what, how many kids do you have? What's, what's your, what's your life look like in terms of kids and work? Um, yeah, great question. So, you know, as you know, from the intro, I'm a leadership coach and I have three kids, three girls, actually ages seven, 11 and crap me. I'm sorry. I, I know this is annoying. Stop for a second. Cause okay. it's it, my notifications beeped and I don't want that happening. Did you hear it? No, I can't hear it. Okay. Sorry. It's I'm okay. sorry but I figured I'd rather do it now than worry about it for an hour. Okay, do it, and then let's just start over. Okay, yeah, all right. One point, ready? Yeah. Okay. All right, Natalie, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here. So everyone listening in, Natalie is an old friend, which is super exciting, because so often on this show, I'm interviewing people who I've never met before, who I've met in passing, and Natalie's actually someone who our kids have hung out together, We've had dinner together. In fact, I just saw her last week. So I'm super excited that you're here today. Thank you, Mia. I am so excited to be here with you today and, uh, and yeah, and chat, talk so, about all these things. So let's start off by how many, how many kids do you have? I have three kids, three girls, ages 7, 12, and 15. All right, so it's busy, and our kids are similar ages, so I feel I feel camaraderie around that. And you are a coach, and tell everybody a little bit about what what you've been up to for the last seven years. So I know Natalie from over seven years ago when our kids were in school together in the Boston area, but where have you been? Well, Mia, (laughs) (laughs) I have actually been living most of the year in Colombia, South America with the family. Uh, We spend summers back in the U.S. and travel around the world during all the school breaks, which amounts to a good, you know, couple months a year, which has been really amazing and fun. But yeah, we've been living in South America. And as you know, that that was my passion and purpose coming to fruition. And your husband is from South America, but not from Colombia. So like, how, how did you fathom the courage to take three kids out of school and, and end up there? Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause I think that's big. 
Yeah, well, as you know, was part of my journey. I've actually been doing, um, actually, if I can just indulge you like in a two-minute story of how yeah. I came to be where I am, because I think, you know, that's that's all part of the journey. So I was actually born in the Ukraine in the former Soviet Union and emigrated to the States when I was eight years old. And, you know, my parents were highly educated, but they were starting life all over, you know, from the beginning when my dad was 40 years old. And so they, they always worked really hard, had two jobs. And really instilled in me that, you know, work is to make lots of money, you know, and be comfortable and be safe. And it's not really about having fun or enjoying your life. So, you know, it was important to get good grades, do the quote unquote right thing, get into a top university, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was basically the path that I followed. I got the good grades. I went to an Ivy League school. I graduated with a degree in business from a top business school. I landed a job right out of college at the World Bank, traveling the world, you know, first class and meeting with ministers of finance and captains of industry and uh, literally working on multi, multi-million dollar projects. And, you know, everyone thought I had it all except that I hated what I was doing. I'm a people person. I was always interested in psychology and art. I could care less about finance. And um, so right around that same time, and I'm trying to think, you know, so many things happened, but like how to keep it really succinct. I, I met Esteban, who later became my husband, and we decided to take a year sabbatical and backpack um, through Southeast Asia. Now, this was like 20 years ago, you know, before mm-hmm. you could even like use the internet to stay in touch with everybody. And the gift of that was that we were literally out there in the world for a year, just calling home once a month from some phone station in Bangkok or whatever, just to say that we're alive. And so really gave me the time and space to connect with myself, to figure out who am I, what do I want for the rest of my life, you know, to meet people from all walks of life, you know, an Italian who decided to just open up a little Italian restaurant on some beach in Thailand or you know, an Austrian engineer who became an energy healer and then, you know, spent half his year in India and half his year in the beaches of Southeast Asia. It basically just broadened my world of what was possible. Yeah. And so the, so after a year, we came back to the States and I was clear, you know, I was still back at the bank because I had to pay off some of my debts and student loans and just kind of figure out my life. But I knew I wanted to study psychology, work with people, make a big change. And, um, and, and so I did that. I left the high-flying job, and that was the first, like, super scary. That's why I mentioned this, because I feel like it was definitely preparation for what I did later with the kids, because it was terrifying, quite frankly, to leave, you know, the societally, you know, ex- beyond acceptable, you know, the job that everyone looked up to and the money and the status and all that of the World Bank and run a program for homeless women in a shelter where, you know, my door wasn't closed, the paint was peeling, my computer didn't work half the time. Um, and I started taking psychology classes. And then I quickly realized that, you know, given my results-oriented nature, coaching was more my path. Now, this was back in 2000. So, I, you know, I became certified as a coach. Um, I started working with individuals, doing a lot of executive coaching, you know, to use my business background. But also, you know, people started asking me like, wow, how'd you leave all that to, you know, to do what you wanted to do? And I was always so passionate about helping people, you know, figure out what it is they want to do and how to do it. 
and you know, I don't, you know, whether it's start a business or change careers or just plan an amazing trip or whatever adventure they wanted to do. It was like in my blood to do that kind of stuff. Mm. And so I started transitioning my coaching practice more and more to the passion and purpose work that I'm doing today, you know, helping people find their passion and purpose and launch their passion project and make it successful and all that good stuff. Oh. And so basically, sorry, did yeah, you go want ahead. to say something? No, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so fast forward to the time you asked me about eight years ago. There I was, pregnant with my third child, and I I always wanted to write a book about people who made major life changes, you know, to follow their dreams. And so while I was pregnant, I interviewed 60-some people who've made major life changes um, to find their passion and purpose. And I learned so much in that process. And, and I think the biggest thing that I learned was that living from passion and purpose isn't necessarily destination. It's, it's an attitude towards life. You know, it's mm. a way of, you know, paying attention to what's happening in your life, what's happening in your family, what your soul wants, uh, what's looking to be born now, who are you now, and, you know, balancing and putting those pieces together to create a life that feels authentic in you at any given moment. And as I was sitting there in a cold Massachusetts winter pregnant interviewing people, I realized that what I really wanted to be, well, basically that at that point, I didn't so much want to be writing a book as I wanted to live abroad with my family. I've always, I always wanted to travel. You know, I have that history of traveling before I had kids. And then somehow, you know, with the kids and well, you know how it goes. Um, you know, we take vacations here and there. But for the most part, you know, we, we weren't really doing lots of traveling or getting out into the world much. And it was always a dream of mine to raise citizens of the world, um, to have my kids speak more languages and get out there. And so, so I made it happen. Cool. And we were talking the other day because you, you know, have been there seven years. So it's more of a life now than it is an adventure. Right. So, mm -hmm. but, but you were saying that like, you're, you, you're not sure what your next adventure is. So you don't have that, that drive behind doing the next thing. So will you explain a little bit like how that drive seven years ago to get there really helped you deal with all the details because I remember that there was a lot of details you know there's a lot of details to move abroad and a lot of you have to figure out school and where you're going to live and how you're going to make money and what you're going to do with your old house you know and you sort of have to reevaluate that and plus when you go to Colombia my husband's Colombian so I happen to know this like <laughs> things don't work the same way as they work here so then you had this whole journey when you arrived of things working differently so how did you use that sort of the passion and the purpose behind wanting to do this to actually get the daily stuff done that needed to happen? Well, yeah, in a nutshell, it was the fuel. I mean, as you and I were talking the other day, um, when, when I don't feel passionate about something, when I don't feel that inner pull towards doing something, it's quite frankly very hard for me to make it happen, mm -hmm. you know, especially something so big like moving an entire family abroad because my husband was kind of reluctant. He wasn't sure it was such a great idea. Um, the kids were apprehensive, especially my oldest, who was nine years old at the time and didn't want to move abroad. Um, and 
but you know, I just was so clear. I felt this fire within. Yep. I think in the process of all those interviews and, you know, the personal growth work that I do to connect to myself, I was just like, I was so driven and determined. I knew that this had to happen, that it's so, it was so important for us to have this time together as a family, to travel the world, to get to know other cultures, for the kids to learn Spanish. And, you know, as my husband says, wow, when you set your mind on something, I just know to get out of the way. <laughs> 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 because I just, you know, it was literally like I felt the fear. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was still terrified. It's like I, I, I felt this incredible drive to do it. But at the same time, I was terrified. This was Colombia. And this was Colombia eight years ago when it had an even worse reputation than it does today. I had so many people asking me if I was nuts to take my girls there. But my husband had an opportunity to work there. And, you know, I looked into it. I talked to some people. I had the sense that it wasn't as dangerous as it was supposed to be. Um, my husband did go there on a reconnaissance mission to check out the school. You know, uh, as you know, we're also a Waldorf family. And there was a little Waldorf school in this small town outside of Bogota, the capital city, where my husband w would be able to work. And he came back and said, well, it's a pretty small town. I don't know how happy you're going to be in a tiny Colombian town. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's fine for the kids for a year, you know, to learn Spanish. It'll be like summer camp. Yeah. And so I just kind of used it as fuel. And I have to admit, like, I really I felt like the universe helped out a lot. You know, every time there was a challenge um, and we would get stressed out. I would meditate and get quiet. And, you know, one way or another, the answer would pop into my head, like, look this up or look this. And, you know, and it always worked out. Okay, so two things came up in that, the both of which I want you to answer. So one is I know that meditation is a big tool for you. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit. And second, so uh, like, are you, a, you're not, are you a details person? Like, no, is, no, right. You're like me. Well, we're not details yeah. people, but we, but we end up having these big ideas that have a lot of details. So, so I'm, I'm assuming meditation is a tool and I would love you to go deeper into that. And then what, like, how do you, how do you even get that lit? Like, what are some of your tactical tools of how you get that list of all the things you're supposed to do and like actually get through it? Like, how did you figure that out? And was that just driven by the fuel to want to do this? Well, no, I should say that even though by my by nature, I am a kind of a big vision idea person and pretty relaxed. I was raised by two Soviet engineers, and I did have the finance training, which is very methodical, you know, building okay. finance, you know. So it has trained me to really think step by step. I feel, you know, I was like, when I wonder why on earth I studied finance and what good it is going to be for me, I realize, you know, there's the business experience, and then also that it taught me how to think systematically and how to break down big ideas, you know, into smaller doable chunks. And so I literally sit down, you know, and, you know, I vision and have my ideas and pray and meditate and ask the universe for support and do all that kind of stuff. But then I literally, you know, sit down with my list and make a list of everything that needs to get done. And I schedule it in and I make sure I write down everything. I'm a big pen and paper person. So I love, you know, I still use old school planners. Yep. 
you know, and I love writing it in and crossing it out. And I make sure, you know, I walk around with that thing everywhere. And I make sure to always write down whatever I have to do or whatever idea comes up. Because for me, if it's not written down, I forget it. Yep. You know, and then I go through it and organize it and schedule it in. Well, you know, all that fun stuff. Well, just to make sure I, it I hope to replace your planner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I it's know. It's coming soon. I know, I know. I'm so excited to hear about your planner because, as I mentioned to you, I'm always on the search for the perfect planner. Oh, yeah. I'm open. <laughs> okay, so okay, so so you write it down, and then you allude, and then if. If ever your purpose or that passion behind that purpose is not strong enough, do you let go of that that thing and that list of to-dos? Is that sort of how you operate? Or is there ever a time when you have to push through those to-dos anyway? Because there's things that maybe we just have to do that we might not be that passionate or purposeful about. Yeah. I mean, what's important for me is to be passionate and purposeful about around, you know, kind of the big issue, like moving, like moving right. abroad was the big purpose and passion. But certainly, you know, looking for schools, packing, all the details, and not to mention all the fear that comes up, quite frankly, when we're, you know, living our passion and purpose. It's not like it's all, you know, angelic music and, you know, uh, ease and flow. Uh, yep. It's often still really scary because we're pushing against our comfort zones. I mean, like I said, I was I was scared. I felt a lot of responsibility in basically moving an entire family to South America. And as you mentioned, when we arrived there, there were there were a lot of issues and a lot of hiccups, and there were a lot of moments of oh my God, what have I done? You know. Yeah. And and so there's definitely a lot of just pushing through, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Right. And then, you know, as it relates to to-dos and planning, definitely. I am not I am not like, you know, the most organized person. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, as I, I learned a long time ago, if I want to, you know, convert my dreams into reality, I just, I need to get it done. And so once I get to the point of writing it down and it's on my to-do list and it's on my planner, I, you know, I get it done. Okay. So, and, and do you have a practice for constantly recalling what that bigger thing is? Like what, that, that, that this is all because like when you get down to those nitty gritties that this this is because you're moving to Colombia. Like, is that something you recall regularly or you feel once it's out there, the to-dos are just fine? Yeah. What, well, you know, I, you know, once I get really excited about something and passionate about something, mm -hmm. I'm a little, I'm kind of obsessive about it. Okay. I don't know if you remember that about eight years ago. Like that's <laughs> all I talked about was yeah. moving abroad. Right. So it just happens to me naturally. I get kind of obsessive about it and I get excited about it and I envision it all the time, but not, you know, as a practice that I'm purposefully doing, it's just the way I'm wired. And so that just fuels me. It's like, all right, you know, and is that something step. though, that's part of a system you would teach someone else that like that, that constant recalling is important, an important part of this process? Yes. I mean, if, if most people I find that, you know, if they really get excited about something and are passionate about something, it's natural for us, you know, it. to keep yeah. thinking about it. Uh, but, but if that's not happening, definitely having a practice to envision, to recall. I mean, one thing I did purposefully do is when I would find 
the fears coming up and the thoughts going towards all that could go wrong. I mean, I would definitely address it to the extent, you know, that I didn't want to do anything foolish. But once I really discarded like, no, this is just the fear because this is actually safe what we're doing and, you know, it's going to work out and the school is fine and it's all going to be fine. Okay, this is just the fear of change. So then I would basically going to force myself to sit down and envision the positive outcome that I wanted, you know? Okay. So, so back to that meditation thing. So another thing that I've noticed in knowing you is that, you know, you are very transparent and honest when your to-do list is long. And because you have ambitious goals, like I think you're leaving (laughs) as we're interviewing this, you're leaving, you know, to go overseas tomorrow and packing up. So your list is, is long. So, and that, and you're, clear about like you know when that's a lot and what's going on and and I think that's sort of part of how you must just process it all but whenever you're saying that you're always like but I fit in meditation and sometimes I'm noticing it's not five minutes so will you talk a little bit about what meditation does and how you're able to fit it in for the amount of time that you do like why that's an important practice um yeah well you know, meditation has been a part of my life in some form for the past 20 years, although I struggled to keep up a regular practice for many years. And somewhere around four years ago, uh, you know, I, I decided to start, you know, to really commit to a regular meditation practice, which uh, for a while there meant an hour a day. I'm now back to 20 minutes a day. But basically, Mia, you know what it is? I just learned along my journey and especially working with other people, but really just on myself, is that I need certain self-care to be my best. I need to exercise daily. I need to do some mindset work. And I need to meditate at least 20 minutes a day. I can skip it for a day. Maybe two, but after that, I'm off center. I don't feel good within myself. You know, I just don't feel good. And so it's become a non-negotiable. I am just like, I am so, I don't even know what the word is, but like basically I, I make it a priority and I put it first. Like yep. I don't I don't schedule clients before 10 a.m. I work between 10 and 4 while the, you know, while the kids are at school, but I drop off my youngest at eight o'clock. And those first two hours of the day are always for my exercise, my meditation, and you know, my, my own mindset work, because that's what it takes for me to feel my best. And I have found it to be so important, especially the meditative piece over the years. What it has done is first, it has just shown me like how repetitive, Uh, my worries and my fears are, it's almost like the same tape is playing inside my head, right? Uh Uh, No matter what the situation is. And I think that's true for most of us. You know, we have certain, you know, messages and beliefs that just kind of recycle through there, no matter what's going on in our lives, the same thing's triggered. And through the meditation, I got to really see those clearly, you know, pretty early on, you know, within a month or so, maybe even less, I really could see the same tapes. And so then I could do mindset work to transform them and not be run by them. And and I became calmer, I became more relaxed and present even when I wasn't meditating. Um, I also found it's amazing me time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I have trained my family that I, mom must meditate every day to feel my best. <laughs> and so it's fantastic. Like on the weekends, I don't do it first thing in the morning. I wait until, you know, at some point in our day when I've really, you know, it's been a great day with the kids and the family, but I'm tired and I've had it. And so now is it's mom's meditation time. You know, I close my door and I have 20 blessed minutes to myself of quiet. And it be, it's become, you know, it's not a chore. It's a treat. Yeah, um, And the last thing I want to say about it, which I, which I just love, is that I find that a lot of my creative ideas and inspired thoughts come when I'm meditating. Yep. I mean, I know, you know, the point of meditation is to try to focus on your breathing and not have, you know, not access that many thoughts, but it's also impossible. Yep. We think all the time. And so often, you know, if I'm dealing with something, I literally set my intention before I go meditate that, you know, the right answer comes, the inspired creative answer solution comes. And it almost always does. And so then, you know, it's not quote unquote, you know, using up time to meditate, it actually winds up being extremely productive, not only because I feel better, but because I have the answer for whatever I need to do next, say for my work project or for whatever I'm working on. And I'm so much more efficient and, you know, get it done so much quicker than if I didn't take care of myself and instead just focused on the work. Yeah, I love that. So so in these sort of practices, these self-care practices, which I as well find are so important, when you're working with other people, have you found over and over that the morning time is just an important time to set aside for that? Or have you found that that's really a personal decision of when you need to get it done? You know, I mean, obviously, I'm a big advocate of squeeze it in whenever you can and whatever works for you. However, I have found with myself and with my clients that doing it first thing in the morning is the best. Because I know personally, if I don't do it first thing in the morning, it often doesn't get done. You know, it takes so much more willpower or whatever it is to stop, you know, mid-project, mid-stream, mid-work, or when, oh my God, I only have half an hour before the kids get home from school, you know, and my time's up. It's, you know, it's almost impossible for me personally to stop at that point and meditate or go work out or whatever. But if I get it done first thing in the morning, it's done. And I feel so great. Like, you know, I already feel like I accomplished a lot just by working out and meditating and taking care of myself before I even start work. And then, of course, it informs all the work. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for a first thing in the morning. You know, if you can do it literally first thing in the morning, great. If it has to be, you know, as soon as the kids are out the door, great. Yeah. But basically. And I feel like as- for us, mo- like for moms, it's important to sort of reevaluate that at the different times of year, right? So oh, as, yeah. as we're having this conversation, it's the summer. As it goes live, it might be people, kids might be in school. But, you know, so for me, it's the same thing. Like after drop-off makes more sense sometimes in the school year. But in the summer, it's so exciting to just wake up an hour earlier before anybody else does because I don't have to get anyone anywhere, you know. Um, So it's like we sort of constantly have to figure out how that's going to work or it's easy to let it slide. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even the weekends, you know, during the school year, weekends are different and constantly having to be flat. So, yeah, it's kind of like having a plan but keeping it flexible. But I do always, you know, it's kind of like if if I've gotten my self-care in for the day, I feel like I accomplished what I needed to do. And yep. if I haven't, I don't feel right. So that kind of gives me the motivation to fit it in, you know, when I can't do it first thing in the morning. Yep. Okay. So, so both of us actually have this thing where we 
get, you know, especially in recent years for me, sort of very clear ideas of what's next. You know, I'm coming back from a year on the road with my family and that was like, I don't even know where that came from, but I just made it happen because it was so clear that that's what we were supposed to do, um, as was Columbia for you. So what if somebody listening is like, you know, it's it's all good. Like, I'm just here. Like, I feel like we, as moms especially, we can get into that rut of like not even being able to get in that place to imagine what could be and not that everybody needs to go to Colombian or Colombia or drive their kids across the country. I'm (laughs) I'm assuming things can be littler, but, but we can get into that just like that rhythm of like, you know, this is what has to happen. And then there's not that space um, to think of what the other thing is. So do you have any um, insight around that? I think, I, I think I'm thinking that's what you help people do a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, that is what I help people do a lot of the time because life is so busy, right? And like you said, we just get in the on this automatic pilot of doing what we're doing and there's no time or space to even think about it. And But, you know, that said, people usually come to me because they have a sense that, you know, they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, they're meant to be doing, you know, they feel like they're meant to be doing more with their lives or something else or making a bit bigger impact. So there is an internal motivation to, to look at what's going on. And of course, you know, the first thing we do is obviously the sessions, you know, or my group programs create the time and space to look at these things, to ask the questions, you know, what's important to you, what do you want to create, what do you love, what excites you, you know, so on and so forth. And then, you know, we start carving out a little bit of time um, in between sessions to look at those things, to start exploring and trying out some of, you know, some of the things that interest you. Because like you said, it's not that, you know, everyone has to move their family to South America or drive them cross country or whatever. It's ultimately about just getting, you know, having, creating that bit of space to connect with yourself and figure out, you know, what lights you up, what makes you happy, what makes you feel like you're living your authentic life. Yeah, and then make little changes, you know, little by little, make the changes to, you know, have your life reflect that. Yeah, I mean, and you know, seven years ago when I changed how I ate, it it had nothing to do with my career or my family actually (laughs) at that point. (laughs) But like, I needed something to change, and it just happened to be through the food versus you know anything else big that happened. And but and what I found is there's just so much. assumptions that we take on after you know like you said about growing up assuming that you go to college you do well you you know you get to court you know you get your job like and there's so many things around how we operate in our family and our work around food that are just so ingrained in us like from generations before we even met those you know we probably didn't even meet some of the opinions that we're receiving from our parents right because they just get passed on um, so it's so interesting and so great to to give that space. Um, okay, so let's see. So food, actually, let's dive into food for one second. So I know it's not your thing, but it's important to you and your family. So talk yeah. to me a little bit about that. I mean, it is something that you make space for. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, while it's definitely not my thing in terms of that, I, you know, I don't do anything related to it for a living. Yeah. Um, eating healthy and, you know, 
feeding my my kids and my family healthy on processed food has been a big priority, you know, since they were born, basically. So I am actually kind of passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I know that because you're always going and getting the healthy snacks and yes, all that kind of good stuff. Um, yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about, I have a final question that I ask everyone, but tell us a little bit about how and why one would get a hold of you. Um, how and why one would get a hold of me? Yeah. You so mean, like, you why, mean, why, why, who, 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 who are you serving? Yeah. Yeah. Who are you serving in your work? And, and how would, how would we find out more about what you do? All right. Well, great. Um, so I basically work with soulful, ambitious, and multi-passionate women and, and a few good men, to be honest, although, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, the ones that are more open and in touch with their feminine side, but yeah. you know, mostly work with women. Um, you know, the kind of women who maybe have, you know, been doing it all and have had a certain level of success in their life professionally, or maybe focused more on their families. But regardless, um, they're, they have many passions and interests and just really care about making a difference in the world and have the sense that like, you know, they haven't yet fully found their thing, you know, and done what they came to this world to do. And so I work with these women and a few good men, right, both individually and through group programs to uncover their purpose and then, you know, start successful businesses, nonprofits, undertake creative projects and really become agents of change. You know, of course, all while thriving in their relationships and taking great care of themselves, you know, with time for fun. Because, you know, as I already mentioned, I take two hours a day for myself here. So I'm definitely <laughs> big on my clients, you know, having balance and having time for themselves and for their families. And, um, you know, I find a lot of the folks I'm working with do whatever they wind up doing part time so that they have time for these other things. Okay. Um, and, you know, if I may mention, I yep. have, you know, if people are more interested in me and my work, I put together a guide and, um, and a workbook. Okay. Um, this my my proven seven steps to finding your passion and purpose, which you know as it explains basically outlines the seven steps I used on myself and use with clients to help them find their passion and purpose. And I know you're going to provide that link for people right there yep. where they can see it. Um, and you know they can also check out my website nataliemadoshenko.com and uh, find me that way as well and you know get in touch we can schedule um, a complimentary get acquaintance session just to find out you know what people are dealing with and what their biggest block is to living their passion and purpose and see what you know the best resources are whether that's working with me or sometimes I say you know working with me is not the best thing you could do right now here's something else you could try I'm pretty open about that because I, I definitely want to work with people who are great fit or yeah I love that. Um, so, okay, so that link will be in the show notes so everyone can go get that guide and workbook, which I'm going to go download. That sounds cool. So, um, actually, before I ask the final question, you used a word three times, actually, as you were explaining <laughs> that, <laughs> the word balance, mm. which I feel like is a word, you know, I end up talking a little bit about the work-life balance, though I'm not sure what I even think or believe about balance all the time. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts on balance, what that means and, 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 you know, whether we're getting the right messages around that around, you know, in our society. 
Yeah. Balance is such a loaded word, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I actually, you know, I've taught courses on balance, you know, living a balanced life. And I have to confess, you know, one of the biggest conclusions I've come to is we can have it all, but usually not at the same time. Mm, And so, you know, but so for me, you know, both in my own life and when I work with clients, balance is really looking at, you know, where you are at any given point point in your life, you know, and your needs, your family's needs, and and looking at ways to put it all together so that the really important top pieces are covered, you know, mm-hmm. so that you're doing what you need to do to feel good about how you're showing up as a mother, um, as a wife, as a partner, but also doing what you need to do to feel good about how you're showing up in the world and for yourself and for your own life, you know? Yeah. Um, so kind of looking at that piece holistically and, and getting all the important pieces in and letting go of a lot of the stuff. I mean, for me, a lot of balance is about setting boundaries and saying no, you know, to the people, things, activities, events, work that really isn't necessarily, that really doesn't feed our soul and who we really are. And is more a reflection of, as you mentioned before, you know, the stuff we've learned from family, from society, from wherever else. Because I think a lot of us waste a lot of time and energy on that. And as we let go of those things, we create a lot more time and energy for that, which is really important to us. And as we fit those pieces in, you know, the pieces that are authentically us, that's when life starts to feel, you know, congruent and like our life and quote unquote balanced, you know, even if it's still busy and crazy at times. Yeah. And, well, and and kids throw that extra loop into all that. Oh, yeah. And they have all these passions that become more and more realized as they get older and older. Um, and, you know, and then it's not just about our two hours to take care of ourselves. It's like, okay, you know, their, their two hours as well become more important. And how do you fit all those puzzle pieces together? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as you know, you know, with kids, <laughs> your schedule is constantly changing, your needs are constantly shifting. Although, you know, I have to say, I'm also really big on boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, learning, I've learned to set, you know, I think pretty, you know, firm, but flexible boundaries, um, and teaching clients to do the same. Because, yeah, I think as moms, we we so often overdo, you know, mm-hmm. and do for our kids and for our families what they could easily be doing for themselves, or just kind of allow other people's priorities to always take precedence over ours. Will you give and, an example of a boundary? Well, you know, for, for instance, yeah, my... Uh, You know, my meditation time or my exercise time is pretty much non-negotiable. So I tell the kids, you know, unless the fire, you know, the house is burning (laughs) down, door is closed, you can't come in, Um, you know, or at the last minute, they'll come up with, well, I forgot to do this and now, blah, blah, and now, you know, whatever, I forgot to, you know, whatever, do a school project or I forgot to do something. And all of a sudden they're asking me, you know, to come up with an extra hour or two to handle it for them. And I literally, I mean, obviously it's age appropriate, but I literally put it back on them. Well, okay, so you forgot to do this. I'm bit, I have, you know, I already have a full day scheduled. So how can you handle it? What of this can you do? You know, basically, you know, at some point I realized if I let that mother guilt take over, you know, my life would always be, you know, as a slave to them. And, you know, I love my kids to death, but, 
you know, I'm also a mother of three girls and I think about, well, what do I want to model for them? And what, you know, what do I want for them? And I want them to live their passion and purpose and have their life and not just be at the service of others. So, you know, that that. kind of the liberty to just, well, you know, I'm going to model that. And I kind of put the responsibility back on them as much as I can. I think that's super, super important too, especially in this day and age. I think that's something that's not modeled for us as parents all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think (laughs) I was listening to a teacher um, explain on a radio show how a college, a parent of a college kid called him to ask him, you know, some to pardon his child from something, you know, like some paper he didn't pass in. And I was just thinking like, my parents had no idea, like even what classes I think I took in college. You know what I mean? Like the fact that your parent would even know how to call your teacher. Oh, right. Is just so, so a new thing. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, and that's actually another, another example. Uh, I don't make, you know, I don't make phone calls for my kids for things that they could ask themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I first ask them to ask the teacher or even to make that phone call themselves. Like basically, I really try to look at, you know, what can they be doing for themselves? Yeah. Um, but I think there is, there's so much pressure in our society and, espe- you know, especially in this culture to, you know, to do everything for your kids. Yeah. And to pave the way for them and to make it easy for them. But like you, you know, I was raised by two immigrant parents who were working two jobs. They were way too busy and usually not around. Yeah. And I had to do a lot of stuff myself. And while, you know, I, I'm not going to follow that model of parenting, you know, I was basically making breakfast for myself and getting myself to school by the time, you know, from the time I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. I definitely do believe that, you know, kids can do more than we think and that mm-hmm. teaching them those skills makes them more resilient, you know, and sets oh them gosh. up to be more successful in life. Totally. So I have no guilt. Totally. I'm good. I'm I, good wouldn't e- I wouldn't even have guilt about the cooking part. I mean, that's something I try to work on because I totally am like, <laughs> I should be doing this. But the truth is, is that, you know, even a middle schooler should be able to make themselves dinner. And if we don't teach that now, you know, who – how are they going to know how to feed themselves? There's all these little things that we just don't even realize. And, and that and that takes such the edge off of us as parents. Some of the things that stress us out most are just the things we simply need more help with. And we forget that we have all these helpers built into our family structure. Right. Well, and as I always tell my kids, you know, there are five members of this family and we all need to work together and contribute to make this work. I can't yeah. do everything. Yeah. I well, love that. Well, my, your dad and I can't do everything. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so many nuggets. So the final question that I ask everyone is, tell us about a meal that had a big impact on you, either the food, the company, or some aha you had while sitting at the table. Well, you know, oh, I know the exact meal that literally changed my life and how I look at food and the trajectory with food. So I need to give you just like 30 seconds of background. So part of being raised in this very busy immigrant family with basically, you know, parents who never had time to cook is that my parents would cook on Sundays and we had to eat, you know, whatever they cooked for the rest of the week. Like it was just like the same stew was warmed up Monday through Friday. Right. And I had to make rice or, you know, something to accompany it. 
And, you know, basically food was just really utilitarian, you know, mm-hmm. and just to fill up and go. There wasn't much enjoyment to it or anything. And then I went off to college. I didn't have much money. I just ate whatever I could throw together really quickly. I never thought much about food. And then when I graduated and got that fancy job and fancy paycheck and met my husband who really likes to eat, I'll never forget this. He invited me out to dinner and we went to this Spanish restaurant in Washington, D.C. And it was a really fancy restaurant, the kind I'd never been to. And we had like a five course meal that lasted for like three hours and, you know, with wine and oh, it was and dessert and it was it was amazing and it was delicious and you know and it literally like woke up <laughs> this inner foodie like oh my god i love to eat and i love food and you know basically the next 2 years i tried everything and every kind of cuisine under the sun cuz i didn't grow up eating much ethnic food we hardly ever ate out i mean mm-hmm all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, you know, I loved food and it was a big adventure. Now, of course, two years later and about 25 pounds later, (laughs) that, that was, you know, the next turning point to get me on a healthier eating journey. um, But yeah, that was the meal. I will never. Yeah. Time is such an important (laughs) part of that. And it's funny. A lot of people share um, some, actually a lot of times it's an Italian meal and just that time, you know, the time spent sitting and eating with good company and good food and it has a big impact on us. So hopefully we'll all do that more. Yeah. Mm, yum. Um, and I, and I hope that you get over the Sunday thing. Cause I actually do think that batching on Sunday is helpful, but you don't have to make, eat the same thing every meal. <laughs> right. Well, no, I know. And you know, it's funny. as soon as I was, as I was saying it, I thought of that, that that's what you do. And I almost wanted to say, but it's different than what you do, Mia, because your food <laughs> winds up so varied and delicious and healthy. Yeah, My yeah, parents yeah, yeah. literally alternated like three stews a month. Yeah. And each Sunday was like one stew, like meat and potatoes, and you literally ate the same, same exact thing, thing yeah, no. for the next five days. I can see days. how that would get old. And I think that's probably what happens to a lot of people as well who, who you know, cook in big batches. So, yes, we all have to learn. Yeah, how to, make, how to mix it up yeah, and make it fun. You're lucky you live in Colombia and you can make fresh meal every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. So many nuggets of wisdom. Um, I hope everyone got something from this episode. And, and thanks for being here. Thank you, Mia. I really had such a great time. I love talking to you and sharing with you. And hi to your listeners out there. And, um, and yeah. All right. All right. Bye, Bye, mamas. I will see you guys on the next episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. All right, you guys. Thank you, Natalie, so much for being here. What an amazing episode. So grateful to have you as a friend. And at the end of every episode, I go through what we talked about and I choose three doable changes that have come up in our conversation that I think could be really useful to our audience because you guys can listen to all this inspiration all you want, but if we don't start putting this stuff into action, I don't feel like I've done my job. So a doable change is something that you can play with for a week, integrate into your life, figure out how to really make it happen. And what I've found is if I take on one doable thing at a time, then at the end of a year, I have all these new amazing habits 
that never go away. So I used to dive all into like a whole new way of being and take on the equivalent of, you know, 40 doable changes at a time. And I would go, 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 and something would happen. And then it would be like, poof, I'd have to start over again. But now as I do this, I really build on them and stuff still comes up and I still get thrown out of my game, but I always have this place to come back to with these amazing habits that I know how to make happen. So I also have to mention that right now I'm recording, I actually recorded the intro and the ending to this episode from my car sitting in the school parking lot. So we all do what we have to do to make this balance, right? And I'm sitting in the school parking lot where Natalie and I first met, where we sent our kids in Lexington, Massachusetts to the Waldorf School. So I think it's kind of funny that I'm recording in the parking lot and it's just what I needed to do today to get this done so that you guys could hear the episode. So here are the three things that Natalie shared. Number one, write it down. We have a lot to remember, appointments, goals, new ideas, and writing them down really helps. So for one week, try writing everything you have to do, get it out of your head and on to paper. And this is an easy way for you to start to keep track of it. So try writing down your ideas that you don't want to forget. And just all you have to do is carry around a small planner, haha, mine will be coming soon, or a blank notebook, and you'll keep these things together, all right? So just practice getting things out of your head and onto paper for a week. That will be a doable change, a weekly experiment. Number two that she shared is do something for you first. So Natalie has, I can tell you because she's a good friend, she's really embodied self-care. So self-care is so important, but it's really easy to get lost in the busy shuffle of the day. So start your day with something for you, whether it's a walk or a meditation or something else that makes you feel good. Natalie talked a lot about the power that meditation has had for her. So maybe that's something that you start with, but just pick one thing and just get it done first. All right, say no. So to make room for the things that we really value and want in our lives, we have to cut out things that aren't necessary. You get to decide what you make space for in your life, even though you will feel pressure from others to do something that's on their agenda. You will definitely experience that in life, but you get to decide. So try saying no to an invitation or an activity or volunteering at the kid's school or an event at work that you really don't want to do, that like your heart's not saying, yes, I want to do this. Try saying no and see what you can make space for instead. Or just see what it feels like to clear the things that you don't really want to do. All right, those are three amazing doable changes all easier said than done. So play around with it, work with them, see how they feel, make them happen. And I will see you guys on the next episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. And actually, before I go, I need to say, don't do all those things before the next episode because that is tomorrow. So just take note. You'll pick one of these every Sunday. You have time. And now I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to share Plan Simple Meals with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes. 
I absolutely love sharing simple solutions to help busy families eat clean and live well. Visit HealthyMomsMeetup.com and come join in on the fun. In our free group, you can chat with me and other health-seeking moms, get new recipes and tips, and never be at a loss in the kitchen again. Come join the fun at HealthyMomsMeetup.com. I cannot wait to meet you there.